You are listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of Paycheck by Philip K. Dick. Performed by Miranda Johnson. Part two of three. The street was dark. At the corner, a lamp post cast a full beam. A few cruisers moved by. From the apartment building entrance, a slim shape came. A young woman in a coat, a purse in her hand. Kelly McVane was going someplace. Probably to a party. Smartly dressed, high heels tapping on the pavement. A little coat and hat. He stepped out behind her. Kelly? She turned quickly, her mouth open. Oh! Jennings took her arm. Don't worry, it's just me. Where are you going all dressed up? No place. She blinked. My golly, you scared me. What is it? What's going on? Can you spare a few minutes? I want to talk to you. Kelly nodded. I guess so. She looked around. Where'll we go? Where's a place we can talk? I don't want anyone to overhear us. Can't we just walk along? No. The police. The police? They're looking for me. For you? But why? Let's not stand here, Jennings said grimly. Where can we go? Kelly hesitated. We can go up to my apartment. No one's there. They went up in the elevator. Kelly unlocked the door, pressing the code key against it. The door swung open, and they went inside, the heater and lights coming on automatically at her step. She closed the door and took off her coat. I won't stay long, Jennings said. That's all right. I'll fix you a drink. She went into the kitchen. Jennings sat down on the couch, looking around at the neat little apartment. Presently, the girl came back. She sat down beside him, and Jennings took his drink. Scotch and water, cold. Thanks. Kelly smiled. Not at all. The two of them sat silently for a time. Well, she said at last, what's this all about? Why are the police looking for you? They want to find out about rhetoric construction. I'm only a pawn in this. They think I know something because I worked two years at Rhetoric's plant. But you don't. I can't prove that. Kelly reached out, touching Jennings' head, just above the ear. Feel there? That spot? Jennings reached up. Above his ear, under the hair, there was a tiny hard spot. What is it? They burned through the skull there. Cut a tiny wedge from the brain. All your memories of the two years. They located them and burned them out. The SP couldn't possibly make you remember. It's gone. You don't have it. By the time they realize that, there won't be much left of me. Kelly said nothing. You can see the spot I'm in. It would be better for me if I did remember. Then I could tell them and they'd... And destroy Rethrick? Jennings shrugged. Why not? 
Rethrick means nothing to me. I don't even know what they're doing. And why are the police so interested? From the very start, all the secrecy, cleaning my mind. There's reason. Good reason. Do you know why? No. Kelly shook her head. But I'm sure there's a reason. If the SP are interested, there's a reason. She set down her drink, turning toward him. I hate the police. We all do. Every one of us. They're after us all the time. I don't know anything about Rethrick. If I did, my life wouldn't be safe. There's not much standing between Rethrick and them. A few laws. A handful of laws. Nothing more. I have the feeling Rethrick is a great deal more than just another construction company the SP wants to control. I suppose it is. I really don't know. I'm just a receptionist. I've never been to the plant. I don't even know where it is. But you wouldn't want anything to happen to it. Of course not. They're fighting the police. Anyone that's fighting the police is on our side. Really? I've heard that kind of logic before. Anyone fighting communism was automatically good a few decades ago. Well, time will tell. As far as I'm concerned, I'm an individual caught between two ruthless forces. Government and business. The government has men and wealth. Rhetoric construction has its technocracy. What they've done with it, I do not know. I did a few weeks ago. All I have now is a faint glimmer, a few references, and a theory. Kelly glanced at him. A theory? And my pocket full of trinkets. Seven. Three or four now. I've used some. They're the basis of my theory. If Rhetoric is doing what I think it's doing, I can understand the SP's interest. As a matter of fact, I'm beginning to share their interest. What is Rhetoric doing? It's developed a time scoop. What? A time scoop. It's been theoretically possible for several years, but it's illegal to experiment with time scoops and mirrors. It's a felony, and if you're caught, all your equipment and data becomes the property of the government. Jennings smiled crookedly. No wonder the government's interested. If they can catch Rethrick with the goods... A time scoop. It's hard to believe. Don't you think I'm right? I don't know. Perhaps. Your trinkets. You're not the first to come out with a little cloth sack of odds and ends. You've used some. How? First, the wire and the bus token. Getting away from the police. It seems funny, but if I hadn't had them, I would be there yet. A piece of wire and a ten-cent token. But I don't usually carry such things. That's the point. Time travel? No, not time travel. Burkowski demonstrated that time travel is impossible. This is a time scoop. A mirror to see and scoop to pick up things. These trinkets. At least one of them is from the future. 
scooped up, and brought back. How do you know? It's dated. The others, perhaps not. Things like tokens and wire belong to a class of things. Any one token is as good as another. There, he, the old me, must have used the mirror. When I was working with Rhetoric, I must have used the mirror. I looked into my own future. If I was repairing their equipment, I could hardly keep from it. I must have looked ahead and seen what was coming. The SP picking me up. I must have seen that, and seen what a piece of thin wire and a bus token would do, if I had them with me at the exact moment. Kelly considered. Well, what do you want from me? I'm not sure now. Do you really look on Rethrick as a benevolent institution, waging war against the police? What does it matter how I feel about the company? It matters a lot. Jennings finished his drink, pushing the glass aside. It matters a lot, because I want you to help me. I'm going to blackmail Rethrick Construction. Kelly stared at him. It's my one chance to stay alive. I've got to get a hold over Rethrick. A big hold. Enough of a hold so they will let me in on my own terms. There's no other place I can go. Sooner or later, the police are going to pick me up. If I'm not inside the plant, and soon... Help you blackmail the company? Destroy Rethrick? No, no, not destroy. I don't want to destroy it. My life depends on the company. My life depends on Rethrick being strong enough to defy the SP. But if I'm on the outside, it doesn't matter much how strong Rethrick is. Do you see? I want to get in. I want to get inside before it's too late. And I want in on my own terms. Not as a two-year worker who gets pushed out again afterward. For the police to pick up. Jennings nodded. Exactly. How are you going to blackmail the company? I'm going to enter the plant and carry out enough material to prove Rethrick is operating a time scoop. Kelly laughed. Enter the plant? Let's see you find the plant. The SP have been looking for it for years. I've already found it. Jennings leaned back. I've located it with my trinkets. And I have four left. Enough to get me inside, I think. And to get me what I want. I'll be able to carry out enough papers and photographs to hang Rethrick. But I don't want to hang Rethrick. I only want to bargain. That's where you come in. I? You can be trusted not to go to the police. I need someone I can trust to turn the material over to. I don't dare keep it myself. As soon as I have it, I must turn it over to someone else. Someone who'll hide it where I won't be able to find it. Why? Because, Jennings said calmly, any minute the SP may pick me up. I have no love for Rutherick, but I don't want to scuttle it. That's why you've got to help me. I'm going to turn the information over to you, 
to hold while I bargain with Rethrick. Otherwise, I'll have to hold it myself. And if I have it on me... He glanced at her. Kelly was staring at the floor, her face tense. Well, what do you say? Will you help me, or shall I take the chance the SP won't pick me up with the material? Data enough to destroy Rethrick. Well, which will it be? Do you want to see Rethrick destroyed? What's your answer? The two of them crouched, looking across the fields at the hill beyond. The hill rose up, naked and brown, burned clean of vegetation. Nothing grew on its sides. Halfway up, a long steel fence twisted, topped with charged barbed wire. On the other side, a guard walked slowly, a tiny figure patrolling with a rifle and helmet. At the top of the hill lay an enormous concrete block, a towering structure without windows or doors. Mounted guns caught the early morning sunlight, glinting in a row along the roof of the building. So that's the plant, Kelly said softly. That's it. It would take an army to get up there, up that hill and over the fence. Unless they were allowed in. Jennings got to his feet, helping Kelly up. They walked back along the path, through the trees to where Kelly had parked the cruiser. Do you really think your green cloth band will get you in? Kelly said, sliding behind the wheel. According to the people in the town, a truckload of laborers will be brought to the plant sometime this morning. The truck is unloaded at the entrance and the men examined. If everything's in order, they're led inside the grounds, past the fence, for construction work and manual labor. At the end of the day, they'll be let back out again and driven to town. Will that get you close enough? I'll be on the inside of the fence at least. How will you get to the time scoop? That must be inside the building someplace. Jennings brought out a small code key. This will get me in. I hope. I assume it will. Kelly took the key, examining it. So, that's one of your trinkets. We should have taken a better look inside your little cloth bag. We? The company. I saw several little bags of trinkets pass out through my hands. Ruthric never said anything. Probably the company assumed no one would ever want to get back inside again. Jennings took the code key from her. Now, do you know what you're supposed to do? I'm supposed to stay here with the cruiser until you get back. You're to give me the material. Then I'm to carry it back to New York and wait for you to contact me. That's right. Jennings studied the distant road, leading through the trees to the plant gate. I'd better get down there. The truck may be along any time. What if they decide to count the number of workers? I'll have to take the chance. But I'm not worried. I'm sure he, the old me, foresaw everything. Kelly smiled. You and your friend. Your helpful friend. 
I hope he left you enough things to get out again after you have the photographs. Do you? Why not? Kelly said easily. I always liked you. You know that. You knew when you came to me. Jennings stepped out of the cruiser. He had on overalls and work shoes and a gray sweatshirt. I'll see you later. If everything goes all right, and I think it will. He patted his pocket. With my charms here. My good luck charms. He went off through the trees, walking swiftly. The trees led to the very edge of the road. He stayed with them, not coming out to the open. The plant guards were certainly scanning the hillside. They had burned it clean so that anyone trying to creep up to the fence would be spotted at once. And he had seen infrared searchlights. Jennings crouched low, resting against the hills, watching the road. A few yards up the road was a roadblock, just ahead of the gate. He examined his watch. 10.30. He might have to wait. A long wait. He tried to relax. And it was just after 11 that the great truck came down the road, rumbling and wheezing. Jennings came to life. He took out the strip of green cloth and fastened it around his arm. The truck came closer. He could see its load now. The back was full of workmen. Men in jeans and work shirts bounced and jolted as the truck moved along. Sure enough, each had an armband like his own, a swath of green around his upper arm. So far, so good. The truck came swiftly to a halt, stopping at the roadblock. The men got down slowly onto the road, sending up a cloud of dust into the hot midday sun. They slapped the dust from their jeans. Two guards came leisurely from behind the roadblock. Jennings tensed. In a moment, it would be time. The guards moved among the men, examining them, their armbands, their faces, looking at the identification tabs of a few. The roadblock slid back. The gate opened. The guards returned to their positions. Jennings slid forward, slithering through the brush toward the road. The men climbed back up into the truck. The truck was gunning its motor, the driver releasing the brakes. Jennings dropped onto the road behind the truck. A rattle of leaves and dirt showered after him. Where he had landed, the view of the guards was cut off by the truck. Jennings held his breath, and he ran towards the back of the truck. The men stared at him curiously as he pulled himself up among them. Their faces were withered gray and lined, men of the soil. Jennings took his place between two burly farmers as the truck started up. They did not seem to notice him. He had rubbed dirt into his skin and let his beard grow for a day. At quick glance, he didn't look much different from the others. But if anyone made a count... The truck passed through the gate, into the grounds. The gate slid shut behind. Now they were going up, up the steep side of the hill, the truck rattling and swaying from side to side. The vast concrete structure loomed nearer. Were they going to enter it? Jennings watched, fascinated. A thin high door was sliding back, revealing a dark interior. A row of artificial lights gleamed. 
The truck stopped. The workmen began to get down again, and some mechanics came around them. What's this crew for? One of them asked. Digging inside. Another jerked a thumb. They're digging again. Send them inside. Jennings' heart thudded. He was going inside. He felt at his neck. There, inside the gray sweater, a flat plate camera hung like a bib around his neck. He could scarcely feel it, even knowing it was there. Maybe this would be less difficult than he had thought. The workmen pushed through the door, on foot, Jennings with them. They were in an immense workroom, long benches with half-completed machinery, booms and cranes, and the constant roar of work. The door closed after them, cutting them off from outside. He was in the plant. But where was the time scoop and the mirror? This way, a foreman said. The workmen plodded over to the right. A freight lift rose to meet them from the bowels of the building. You're going down below. How many of you have experience with drills? A few hands went up. You can show the others. We are moving earth with drills and eaters. Any of you work with eaters? No hands. Jennings glanced at the work tables. Had he worked here not so long ago? A sudden chill went through him. Suppose he were recognized. Maybe he had worked with these very mechanics. Come on, the foreman said impatiently. Hurry up. Jenkins got into the freight lift with the others. A moment later, they began to descend down the black tube. Down, down, into the lower levels of the plant. Rethrick construction was big. A lot bigger than it looked from above ground. A lot bigger than he had imagined. Floors, underground levels, flashing past, one after the other. The elevator stopped. The doors opened. He was looking down a long corridor. The floor was thick with stone dust. The air was moist. Around him, the workmen began to crowd out. Suddenly, Jennings stiffened, pulling back. At the end of the corridor, before a steel door, was Earl Rethrick, talking to a group of technicians. All out, the foreman said. Let's go. Jennings left the elevator, keeping behind the others. Rethrick. His heart beat dully. If Rethrick saw him, he was finished. He felt in his pockets. He had a miniature Boris gun, but it wouldn't be much use if he were discovered. Once Rethrick saw him, it would all be over. Down this way. The foreman led them toward what seemed to be an underground railway, to one side of the corridor. The men were getting into metal cars along a track. Jennings watched Rethrick. He saw him gesture angrily, his voice coming faintly down the hall. Suddenly, Rethrick turned. He held up his hand, and the great steel door behind him opened. Jennings' heart almost stopped beating. There, beyond the steel door, was the time scoop. He recognized it at once. The mirror, the long metal rods ending in claws, like Burkowski's theoretical model. Only this was real. Rethrick went into the room, the technicians following behind him. 
Men were working at the scoop, standing all around it. Part of the shield was off. They were digging into the works. Jennings stared, hanging back. Say you, the foreman said, coming toward him. The steel door shut. The view was cut off. Rethrick, the scoop, the technicians were gone. Sorry, Jennings murmured. You know you're not supposed to be curious around here. The foreman was studying him intently. I don't remember you. Let me see your tab. My tab? Your identification tab. The foreman turned away. Bill, bring me the board. He looked Jennings up and down. I'm going to check you from the board, mister. I've never seen you in the crew before. Stay here. A man was coming from a side door with a checkboard in his hands. It was now or never. Jennings sprinted down the corridor toward the great steel door. Behind there was a startled shout, the foreman and his helper. Jennings whipped out the code key, praying fervently as he ran. He came up to the door holding out the key. With the other hand, he brought out the Boris gun. Beyond the door was the time scoop. A few photographs, some schematics snatched up. And then, if he could get out. The door did not move. Sweat leaped out on his face. He knocked the key against the door. Why didn't it open? He began to shake, panic rising up in him. Down the corridor, people were coming, racing after him. Open. But the door did not open. The key he held in his hand was the wrong key. He was defeated. The door and the key did not match. Either he, the old he, had been wrong, or the key was to be used someplace else. But where? Jennings looked frantically around. Where? Where could he go? To one side, a door was half open, a regular bolt-locked door. He crossed the corridor, pushing it open. He was in a storeroom of some sort. He slammed the door, throwing the bolt. He could hear them outside, confused, calling for the guards. Jennings held the Boris gun tightly, gazing around. Was he trapped? Was there a second way out? He ran through the room, pushing among some bales and boxes, towering stacks of silent cartons, end on end. At the rear was an emergency hatch. He opened it immediately. An impulse came to throw the code key away. What good had it been? But surely he, the old he, had known what he was doing. He had already seen all of this. Like God, it had already happened for him. Predetermined. He could not err. Or could he? A chill went through him. Maybe the future was variable. Maybe this had been the right key once, but not anymore. There were sounds behind him. They were melting the storeroom door. Jennings scrambled through the emergency hatch into a low concrete passage, damp and ill-lit. He ran quickly along it, turning corners. It was like a sewer. 
Other passages ran into it from all sides. He stopped. Which way? Where could he hide? The mouth of a major vent pipe gaped above his head. He caught hold and pulled himself up. Grimly, he eased his body into it. They'd ignore a pipe and go on past. He crawled cautiously down the pipe. Warm air blew into his face. Why such a big vent? It implied an unusual chamber at the other end. He came to a metal grill and stopped. And gasped. He was looking into the great room. The room he had glimpsed beyond the steel door. Only now he was at the other end. There was the time scoop. And far down beyond the scoop was Rethrick, conferring at an active vid screen. An alarm was sounding within, shrilly echoing everywhere. Technicians were running in all directions. Guards in uniform poured in and out of the doors. The scoop. Jennings examined the grill. It was slotted in place. He moved it laterally and it fell into his hands. No one was watching. He slid cautiously out into the room, the Boris gun ready. He was fairly hidden behind the scoop, and the technicians and guards were all the way down at the other end of the room where he had first seen them. And there it was, all around him. The schematics, the mirror, papers, data, blueprints. He flicked his camera on. Against his chest, the camera vibrated, constant film moving through it. He snatched up a handful of schematics. Perhaps he, the old he, had used these very diagrams a few weeks before. He stuffed his pockets with papers. He squeezed back into the vent, pushing through the mouth and down the tube. The sewer-like corridor was still empty, but there was an incessant drumming sound. The noise of voices and footsteps. So many passages. They were looking for him in a maze of escape corridors. Jennings ran swiftly. He ran on and on without regard to direction, trying to keep along the main corridor. On all sides, passages flocked off, one after another. Countless passages. He was dropping down, lower and lower, running downhill. Suddenly he stopped, gasping. The sound behind him had died away for a moment, but there was a new sound ahead. He went along slowly. The corridor twisted, turning to the right. He advanced slowly, the Boris gun raised. Two guards were standing a little way ahead, lounging and talking together. Beyond them was a heavy code door, and behind him the sound of voices were coming again, growing louder. They had found the same passage he had taken. They were on the way. Jennings stepped out, the Boris gun raised. Put up your hands. Let go of your guns. The guards gawked at him. Kids. Boys with cropped blonde hair and shiny uniforms. They moved back, pale and scared. The guns. Let them fall. The two rifles clattered down. Jennings smiled. Boys. Probably this was their first encounter with trouble. 
their leather boots shone, brightly polished. Open the door, Jennings said. I want through. They stared at him. Behind, the noise grew. Open it! He became impatient. Come on! He waved the pistol. Open it, dammit! Do you want me to? We can't. What? We can't. It's a code door. We don't have the key, honest mister. They don't let us have the key. They were frightened, and Jennings felt fear himself now. Behind him, the drumming was louder. He was trapped. Caught. Or was he? Suddenly, he laughed. He walked quickly up to the door. Faith, he murmured, raising his hand. That's something you should never lose. What? What's that? Faith in yourself. Self-confidence. The door slid back as he held the code key against it. Blinding sunlight streamed in, making him blink. He held the gun steady. He was outside at the gate. Three guards gaped in amazement at the gun. He was at the gate, and beyond lay the woods. Get out of the way! Jennings fired at the metal bars of the gate. The metal burst into flame, melting, a cloud of fire rising. Stop him! From behind, men came pouring, guards coming out of the corridor. Jennings leaped through the smoking gate. The metal tore at him, searing him. He ran through the smoke, rolling and falling. He got to his feet and scurried on, into the trees. He was outside. He, the old he, had not let him down. The key had worked all right. He had tried it first on the wrong door. And on he ran, sobbing for breath, pushing through the trees. Behind him, the plant and the voices fell away. He had the papers, and he was free. He found Kelly and gave her the film and everything he had managed to stuff into his pockets. Then he changed back into his regular clothes. Kelly drove him to the edge of Stewartsville and left him off. Jennings watched the cruiser rise up into the air, heading towards New York. Then he went into town and boarded the inner city rocket. On the flight, he slept, surrounded by dozing businessmen and businesswomen. When he awoke, the rocket was settling down, landing at huge New York spaceport. Jennings got off, mixing with the flow of people. Now that he was back, there was the danger of being picked up by the SP again. Two security officers in their green uniforms watched him impassively as he took a taxi at the field stand. The taxi swept him into downtown traffic. Jennings wiped his brow. That was close. Now to find Kelly. He ate dinner at a small restaurant, sitting in the back away from the windows. When he emerged, the sun was beginning to set. He walked slowly along the sidewalk, deep in thought. So far, so good. He had got the papers and film, and he had gotten away. The trinkets had worked every step along the way. Without them, he would have been helpless. 
He felt in his pockets. Two left. The serrated half-poker chip and the parcel receipt. He took the receipt out, examining it in the fading evening light. Suddenly, he noticed something. The date on it was today's date. He had caught up with the slip. He put it away, going on. What did it mean? What was it for? He shrugged. He would know in time. And the half-poker chip. What the hell was it for? No way to tell. In any case, he was certain to get through. He, the old he, had gotten him by up to now. Surely there wasn't much left. He came to Kelly's apartment house and stopped, looking up. Her light was on. She was back. Her fast little cruiser had beaten the inner city rocket. He entered the elevator and rose to her floor. Hello, he said when she opened her door. You're all right. Sure. Can I come in? He went inside. Kelly closed the door behind him. I'm glad to see you. The city is swarming with SP. Almost every block. And the patrols... I know. I saw a couple at the spaceport. Jennings sat down on the couch. It's good to be back, though. I was afraid they might stop all the inner-city flights and check through the passengers. They have no reason to assume I'd be coming to the city. I didn't think of that. Kelly sat down across from him. Now, what comes next? Now that you have got away with the material, what are you going to do? Next, I meet Rethrick and spring the news on him. The news that the person who escaped from the plant was myself. He knows that someone got away, but he doesn't know who it is. Undoubtedly, he assumes it was an SP man. But couldn't he use the time mirror to find out? A shadow crossed Jennings' face. That is so. I didn't think of that. He rubbed his jaw, frowning. In any case, I have the material. Or you have the material. Kelly nodded. All right, we'll go ahead with our plans. Tomorrow we'll see Rethrick. Well, see him here in New York. Can you get him down to the office? Will he come if you send for him? Yes, we have a code. If I ask him to come, he'll come. Fine, I'll meet him there. When he realizes that we have the pictures and schematics, he'll have to agree to my demands. He'll have to let me into Rethrick Construction, on my own terms. It's either that or face the possibility of having the material turned over to the security police. And once you're... in, once Rethrick agrees to your demands? I saw enough at that plant to convince me that Rethrick is far bigger than I had realized. How big, I don't know. No wonder he, or the old me, was so interested. You're going to demand equal control of the company. Jennings nodded. You would never have been satisfied to go back as a mechanic, would you? The way you were before. No. To get booted out again? Jennings smiled. Anyhow, I know how he, the old me, 
intended better things than that for me. He laid careful plans. The trinkets. He must have planned everything long in advance. No, I'm not going back as a mechanic. I saw a lot there, level after level of machines and men. They're doing something, and I want to be in on it. Kelly was silent. You see? Jennings said. I see. You have been listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of Paycheck by Philip K. Dick. Performed by Miranda Johnson. Part 2 of 3. Thank you for listening. <laughs>